and uh, you see people get antsy. People don't have a problem in uh, using the name God, do they? But you mentioned Jesus, and people get a little nervous every here and there. They, they get a little shaky, don't they? There's a reason why. That name is convicting. It's comforting to us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's a comforting word. It's a comforting name because in that name there's power, amen? But I'll tell you, for those who aren't or those who hate him or those who despise him, those who reject him, you mention the name Jesus, and they get a little nervous, amen? Use that name. There's, there's no other name in all of creation greater than the name of Jesus, amen? And amen. It is a blessing to be here tonight. I'm excited and uh, good singing this evening, guys. What a wonderful blessing it is. I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 4. Verses will be on the screen. This will be our text verses for tonight. And uh, what a great choice of songs this evening to tie into this into this sermon. What a blessing, amen. And uh, but Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look in verses 1 through 9 tonight. 1 through 9. And uh, the Bible tells us here in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. He's writing it in the autumn of AD 62 from a Roman prison. He has been incarcerated by this time for four years, two years in Caesarea, and then two years in Rome. He's writing this letter to the Philippian church as a very unique letter. You guys have probably heard me mention this in times past, but I want you to keep in mind of where he's writing this letter from. As we begin to look through it tonight and as we begin to break down these verses and apply them into our life, I want, us to, I want you to think about the situation Paul is in. Now, not only in AD 62 does he write this letter to the Philippians, um, to the Philippian church, he also writes the letter to Philemon. He also writes the letter to the Ephesians as well, as well as Colossians, all from his Roman prison house, same year, same time. Now, in the book of Ephesians, just to kind of branch out for a little bit of a sidebar, we know that Paul mentions the whole armor of God. We also know in the, the letter to Philemon, which is a very short letter, he wrote it for one intention, one intention was to ask forgiveness for Onesimus, okay, which was a fellow laborer. So we understand that when you look at what Paul was going through in this Roman prison house, we also we understand very clearly tonight that when he begins to mention the whole armor of God, 
He's talking about uh, the, all of these, these Roman armor that he had. He's attached, if you will. Remember when he wrote Philemon? I know I'm kind of jumping back and forth. When he writes to Philemon, he says when he visited him, Philemon, he says, you wasn't ashamed of my chain. Paul was a chain. He was attached to a Roman soldier for 24 hours a day. A Roman soldier working a 12-hour shift and swapping these, uh, uh, these, the, this responsibility out. So as he begins to describe the whole armor of God in the book of Ephesians, he's literally looking at a Roman soldier as visual aids when he says this breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, feet shed with the, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul's taking everything that he's experiencing and he's applying it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and writing to the Ephesians. Same thing with Philemon, same thing with Colossians. And now as we get into our letter for tonight, to the Philippian church. Again, I mentioned it's a very unique letter. The reason being, it's so unique is there's not one rebuke in this letter. It's, it's not a letter of correction. As a matter of fact, what makes this letter so special is not what is written necessarily, but rather what is not written. And there's no negative overtones whatsoever found in his letter. And so it's not a letter of rebuke of local church doctrine as we find in First and Second Corinthians. It's not a letter about dress code and hairstyles and facial hair or music. It's not any of that. It's on the complete other side. Guys, it's not even a letter about happiness. It's rather a letter of joy. Joy in your life. Joy in the Christian life. If you're going to have joy in your life, it's going to require you to have victory in your life. And I'm going to give you a little formula tonight. If you want victory in your life, and it may sound a little bit odd. You guys have all seen the social media post, so there's no, like, surprise announcement. You know the title of the sermon tonight. It's surrendering to victory. That sounds like an oxymoron. Because if you want to be victorious, you're going to win. You're going to fight. You're on top of the mountain. You're all this and that and the other. But the reality is this. If you're going to have victory tonight, you're going to have to surrender to it. And that's how joy comes into your life. But guys, I'm going to repeat myself for months on end about happiness. Happiness is dependent upon what happens, meaning uh, what a person is happy may be based upon what they receive, be it a gift. But when those gifts are gone, the happiness is lost. It fades away. Joy is not like that. Joy doesn't apply. It's not, joy is not uh, required about what you want and what you get. Joy, on the other hand, is not subject to circumstances or situations, but it's based upon where we have placed our faith, and where we have put our trust. Let me say this, that joy runs deep. Joy is strong. Joy is quiet, confident assurance in God's love and his work in our life. Even, I want to say this, especially when we don't see something happening. When we don't hear anything moving. It's in the notion that he will accomplish his will no matter what happens around us. So again, the epistle, to the, the epistle of the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, this particular church of Macedonia, which was a massive encouragement and support to the ministry of Paul. They had a special bond with Paul. Uh, they brought him great joy, and he's writing a letter to them so that they would have great joy. They are, this is the, the pinnacle example of local, local missions, of unity, of soul winning. I mean, you name it. 
but it's his joy letter. This letter is Paul's joy letter. Out of the 14 epistles, Paul writes, this is the one about joy. In our opening text, guys, we see in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. Guys, within the pages of this letter, the word joy occurs six times. Rejoice ten times, and rejoice in one time. There are 17 occurrences on the topic of joy in some form, shape, or another within just the four chapters. Its theme verse is found in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Beloved, within Paul's life, he lived in poverty, he lived in great wealth, and everything in between. And it is this letter that Paul chose to write these very things to encourage us that no matter what's going on around us or within us, joy can be in your life through the victory that you need to surrender to. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, the Bible tells us this of that very subject. It said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to be abound, everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to both abound and to suffer need. Do you know what that is tonight? No matter what's No matter what's going on in my life, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether there's everything in between, no matter what is happening in my life, I am am commanded to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. Do you know what that is? That, my friend, is joy. And that comes from victory. Paul chose to live in victory through joy by humbling himself before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you tonight this particular question. This is not an accusatory question. This is not me trying to say that you don't have joy. But I'm going to ask you, where is your joy tonight? Do you have joy tonight? I want this to be a provocative question. I want it to provoke you to think if you have joy or you just residing in happiness, depending on what is going on in your life. Under the same guise, do you have victory tonight? Are you living a victorious life? Now, guys, there's many in our circles tonight. Now, they come back to the state of our world. They come to current events, politics, situational ethics, if you will, and, and they claim how bad the world is. That's not a newsflash. That's not, I mean, if you're a Bible, if you've read your Bible through and through one time, that's not a newsflash. I fully, completely understand this, beloved. We live in a broken world. I talked about that last week. Yes, Jesus said the world would hate us because it first hated him. Fair play. Yes, Paul said, evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okie dokie. That's exactly what happens. All inspired, all truth. Just as true as John 3, 16. Can't argue with it, won't argue with it. Yes, good shall be evil spoken of in the world that we live in. All of these are inspired, preserved, purified truths of the living word of God and cannot and should not be altered. Fine. We see it happen before our very eyes. The world is in a broken state, and the world is getting worse. So what do we do? Do we sulk? Do we become sullen uh, toward everything around us? Do we complain and, and criticize and, uh, all the world that is around us and the life that we live? I mean, how many conversations have you had just in the last 24 hours that were inherently positive or inherently negative? Can you believe what he did now? Can you believe what's going on over there? I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you just a couple little truths here just for a moment before we get into our points. The world is broken in 2023. Okie doke. 
broken. Paul writes this in AD 62. The world was broken then too. Amen? Nearly 2,000 years later, the world was broken then. It's broken now. And it's going to stay broken until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and sets up his kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years. And prior to that is a seven-year tribulation period. And before that, guess what? We're getting out of this place. We're gone, man. And that's what we look for. We look for Jesus Christ to appear in the air. If you're looking for the second coming of Christ to set a millennium up and build your perfect world here, you're looking in the wrong direction. You got the wrong Bible, you're looking in the wrong dispensation, you're just wrong, amen? I'm going to tell you we're looking for Christ to appear in the air. He's going to take us out of here seven years later. We're all coming back and it's on, amen? That's when peace is going to happen in this world today. That's when the world is going to be fixed. That's when the sin curse is lifted. That's when the lion shall lie down with the lamb, amen? These crazy uh, nut job uh, cults out there who say we're going to we're trying to build a better world and uh, you know that hey man that we're living in the millennial kingdom. Why don't you stick a lamb inside of a cage of the lion? See what happens next, amen. That'll just solve your problem right now. But coming one day, God's going to fix the world, but not before we're out of here. I'm saying all that to make this point. We got a letter here whose theme is joy in a broken world. We got a letter here who has 17 occurrences within four chapters on the topic of rejoicing, joy, and rejoicing in a broken world. So don't tell me you can't have joy tonight. Don't get, listen, there always has been a current event. There's always been a war. There's always been wicked and ruthless leaders. Paul's writing this letter uh, under, uh, I think, Nero at that time. Nero was one of the most despicable human beings that ever breathed in this world. Nero deserved to be thrown in a wood chipper foot feet first. Amen. That's how despicable he was. He was a pedophile who took a 14-year-old boy, castrated him so he would maintain his youth and married him. That's who he was. Don't tell me about world leaders today and how bad the world is, and I can't have joy, and I can't serve the Lord. Paul's serving God, chained to a Roman soldier, writing a letter about joy in the midst of being in prison. Amen. So you can have joy tonight. I can tell that hit a little bit of like, whoa, what's going on here? Where are we going tonight? We're talking about joy. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Amen. So what do we do? Brothers and sisters, listen, we're given a simplistic formula tonight. Within the pages of this joy letter of how you and I can have victory in our, in our life. And the product of that victory is joy. The first thing we need to understand is that we're going to have to stand. You say, well, wait a second here. Paul says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Now, here's the key to that. Chapter 4 opens up with the word, therefore. Every word is important. None of them are to be changed, altered, or this and that, or say, well, what it should really mean, or a better word is this. None of you smarter than God. Amen. He's got his word right where he needs it. Amen. And he says, therefore, and that statement means that it's following on what he built upon in chapter 3 in the previous writing. So here's what some of the things he says in chapter 3. Verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Verse 20 says, For our conversation, watch this. That word conversation means conduct, our life. Our conversation is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior. Wait a second. Didn't we just get finished talking about that? What are we looking for? Jesus Christ to come back in the air to catch his bride away? 
which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body. Now that's linked to 1 Corinthians 15. When this, this mortal shall put on immortality. Those dead in Christ first, which is linked to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, the dead in Christ shall rise first. He says this corruptible shall put on incorruption. The corruptible is those who have died already in the body. This mortal, those that are living when Jesus Christ descends from the, into the clouds shall put on immortality. This he shall change our vile body. Let him be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Man, alive. Paul's telling you, I hope I didn't get you there, I almost did, sorry. You're in the spitting section, so amen. We need, those, we need those plastic things set up like they have at SeaWorld, a splash section. <laughs> Paul is giving us a letter of joy. He's telling us in chapter 3 that, listen, someday soon Jesus Christ is coming back in the air. Despite everything going on in this world today, all of your problems, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Our conduct, our life, our affections, our heart, our mind, everything that we have is in heaven. That's what we're thinking of. We're looking for him to come back, but yet we're still living in this world. But we aren't to be of the world, but in the world. Our thoughts and our intentions are on Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to live for him. And then he says, therefore, you need to stand. You need to take a stand for Jesus Christ today. And I know things may look bad, and I realize that you may be in situations tonight, you may be in circumstances, guys, that no one is privy to or could possibly understand. I fully and truly get that. But I want you to trust me here this evening. I understand it more than you can imagine. But I promise you, based upon the Word of God, you can live victoriously. I don't have it on the screen, but the Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, therefore, uh, it says, uh, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be able, not suffer you to be tempted above that year able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Can I say this to you? When we live in a defeated existence, we're telling God, you haven't provided me a way to escape. There had no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Whatever you're going through tonight, whatever you went through last night, or whatever you may go through tomorrow, somebody else has been through it already, and worse. We heard about that last week with Job 42. But God is not going to allow a temptation to come in your life that you aren't able to bear. And with that temptation, there's always going to be a loophole. There's always going to be a back door. There's always going to be a way for you to escape it. There's so many doom and gloom people in our world today, and I understand there's a time and place for doom and gloom. I get it. But, man, too many exhaust, too many people exhaust the precious time behind the sacred desk of God's pulpit Tell everybody how terrible things are around us. There's a famous preacher of whom I love his sermons. He lived 100 years ago, and his, his Bible students, his preacher boys, were complaining about not having something to preach on. He said, bless God, get yourself a newspaper and a Bible in the other hand and start preaching. And I, I understand there is a time and a place for that. But as a preacher, if you're living off the current events to preach on those things, that's lazy preaching. I could get up here for 40 minutes, and I could rant about everything that's going on in the world today, and I could pull all kinds of Bible verses out. I could do all of that stuff. And you know what? You could leave here as starving as you was when you came in. 
not a lick of help. And just nothing but my whipping post so I can get it out of my system. And that's what too many men are doing today. Beloved, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls that when he writes to Titus, he goes, the blessed hope. Do you know that if you love his appearing when Jesus is coming back to call his bride home, you know there's a crown for that? There's a, a reward for that, amen? Hallelujah, that should be an easy one, amen? It's not, but it should be. As we live in a sinful world, I understand it. But I refuse to accept the fact that we can't live in victory in this life. I refuse to accept the fact that we can't have joy in this life even in our darkest moments. You say, why? You've heard these verses before, but you're going to have to reconcile that verse right there if you say we can't. 2 Corinthians 2.14, now thanks be unto God, which, what's that next word? Always. Always. Now, Hannah, if I told you, and I know this never happens, all right? By the way, your dead look was awesome last Monday when I, I came in there. She was all, anyway. So if I'm coaching a class and Hannah comes in and I say, Hannah, you are always late to class. And she's not, all right? She's just in the front row and I'm just going to use this as an example. It just popped my head. If I said, you're always late. And out of, you know, 302 workouts over the year, she's late to 301, right? I would be lying if I said always, right? Because always means always. It means without fail every single time. If I said, hey, you're always on time. Your lifts are always perfect. That means there's no failed lifts. There's no, uh, there's no lateness, no nothing, right? Does that make sense? The holy inspired word of God says that he always causeth us to triumph in Christ. You know what that makes you tonight? Triumphant. You know what that makes you tonight, Natalie? A winner. Sue, you know what that makes you? Victorious. It's quite simple tonight. Guys, this is not deep. This is not hard. This is not difficult. I understand the practicality of it. And in the midst of the darkness of our life, I understand that. But it's very simple tonight. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. If you're born again tonight, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've already overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome. Not going to overcome, not wish, could, should, or did, but have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And one of my favorite verses that you've heard, Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. Paul goes on in that same chapter to tell us that there ain't nothing present or future that can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us tonight. That means you're a winner tonight, amen. That means you're victorious tonight. There's nothing that can separate you from that. And for those clowns that say that you can lose your salvation, you've got to mark that book, that right there, out of your Bible and about 400 other verses. You can't lose what you can't earn, Amen. You say, well, preacher, I doubt my salvation sometimes. Good. Amen. Good. You say, why? 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 Doesn't that make me a failure? No, it makes you human. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many people in here doubt the, they got a million pounds in the bank? Raise your hand. Do you ever doubt that you have a million pounds? Do you ever go, 
do I have a million pounds in the bank? Do I? No, you don't. You know why? Because you know you don't. Amen. So there ain't no doubt in there. Amen. But you may doubt what is in the bank. Amen. So you're not, you don't doubt what you don't have. You doubt your salvation that's human, guys. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it should be a continual thing. You need to put your faith and trust in the Word of God. I understand that some will spiritualize these verses and take it off the present tense and take it off our physical lives and, and all this and that. They'll make it more heavily than they will eternally and okay. But we still have the victory from this world today, not just in the world to come, right here, right now. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells me this. It says, who gave himself for our sins, watch this, that he might deliver us from what? This present world or evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, you can't argue with this. You can twist it, and you can try to uh, Greek and Hebrew the devil out of it, and you go ahead, man, mess with God's Word, God will mess with your mind. I'm just telling you right now that our God tonight has given us a victory in this world. He loves us. It's nothing can separate it from us. So therefore, since we have the victory, we can have joy in our life from the present world we live in right now. We're going to be in this world. We're to serve in this world. We're to continue pushing forward in this world. But we do not have to be of this world and live in the darkness that this world is locked into today. Man, that last song tonight, I don't know about you. I know that's the first time uh, that we've sang that thing. That last song talking about that depression and that name of Jesus. Man, you need to lock in and get a hold of something like that and chew on that for a little while, amen. I don't know about you, but that blesses my soul. So what's it going to require to have victory tonight? First, it's going to require you to stand. Now, you may be sitting here tonight thinking, well, that's an easy part. I think if anything we've learned over the last three to four years, uh, standing for many people ain't easy. There's a lot of people hook, line, and sinker. They don't stand for jack, amen. They go the easy route. I'm not interested in easy. I'm interested in truth tonight. Again, I've said it time and time again. Billy Sunday was accused of always stroking a cat backwards. Turn the cat around, amen. It'll be okay. If you want joy in your life tonight, you're going to have to stand. But the central ingredient is part of the title of the message. If you want joy in your life, you're going to have to surrender to victory this evening. And again, I know it may sound like an oxymoron. How can I surrender and still have victory? Well, notice what he says in verse 8. I, I love this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Now look at the very next word. He says, think. That's a lost art in our society today. People don't want to think for themselves. They want to be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. They want everything simple. They want to know. I mean, and I, I understand that part, okay? He says, think on these things. I told, you this, I told you just a moment ago, this is a very simplistic formula, but I did not say it was easy. What I've learned in my life is that most things which are simple are never easy. They're simple decisions, but typically they come with a cost. And even though worth it, there's still the fact of ease is absent. So our surrender occurs in one place to start out with. It is seen in two other places, but it's, it's, it occurs in one place, and it occurs in the mind. In our text verses, verse 6 tells us, be careful for nothing. Uh, it says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. All right? So our surrender is a part of our mind, because that's where the battle occurs. Our surrender is seen in two other places, and the other one is our method. Our method here, I think I got behind a little bit. Uh, I did, I got, it, I got too far ahead. 
So I don't have the other two on there, sorry. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's our method tonight. You want to have victory in your life. You want to have that joy in your life. You want to have what you need in your life tonight. You know what's going to happen? It's got to start with your mind, which means that you're going to have to surrender your mind to Christ. The method is going to be through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And that's going to change our motives. The motives are going to be seen and let your request be made known unto God. Your request made known unto God. So beloved, we need to understand that's when you get verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's surrendering. Surrender to victory. We, we come from a culture, guys, in many places, and I don't know if you, uh, you do or not, but there's a, there's a culture of rededication that we've seen. And a man will come into a church and he'll preach a, 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 a great sermon, a great message, and people will get convicted and, and their hearts will be broken because they're committing sin or they're living in sin. And, and they'll come down to the altar and they'll bow their hearts and, and they'll say, I'm going to rededicate my life to Christ. They're saved, they're born again, they haven't lost that, but they want to rededicate their heart to life. And then a year or so goes by, and they've slipped back into those old ways here and there, and another sermon is preached. They get under conviction. They come down to the altar, and they say, this time, Lord, this time I really, really mean it. I'm rededicating my life to Christ. And it's just an overwhelming cycle. I'm not telling you I'm completely against rededication. Don't take that the wrong way. But I think what we've done is we've supplemented rededication for surrender. Until we surrender our mind to the Lord Jesus Christ, rededication is going to be nothing but words. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I know we preach from this uh, in our confidence series on Wednesday night, of which I think I'm going to start down here next week. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. To bring something into captivity has the idea to lead away captive or to arrest or to detain. The theme here is to lock up our thoughts to the obedience of Christ. You know, guys, our mind, and every single one of us can, can understand this, our mind will drift in directions that will create things in our mind and we'll work scenarios out in our mind and we'll even have reactions and backup plans and plan B, C, and D, and it's all up in our head, never, ever happened at all. And that's called an imagination. The word imagination actually means create, to create images. And if we're not careful, we'll allow images, we'll create images in our mind, situations in our mind, that exalts itself against Christ. It requires you to surrender your mind. Therefore, your motives and your method will follow suit. Listen carefully to me tonight. We're working down to the close. Do you know most people don't lose the battle of faith? When a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Number one, that's one time. When you're, you're only, you get saved one time. You say, well, preacher, I got saved again. Well, you wasn't saved the first time, okay? 
It's a one. It's a one deal. Jesus Christ died once, and He died for all. You're not rekilling Him again to be saved. Okay. So um, and that's called eternal security. I'm saying that to make this point. Most people don't lose the battle of faith, even when they backslide. It's not about faith. It's the battle of the thoughts. It's the battle here in the mind. Most people do not lose the battle of belief. In all fairness, they, I know there, there's unique people here and there, and, and, and they get kooky beliefs in that, and they run a different direction. And they, We know that happens. We see it in the scriptures with Demas. He had forsaken Paul. He got some, you know, some lofty ideas, and we've seen it with other guys who have started cults you know, in, in the past. We understand that. But as a rule, generally speaking, most people don't lose the battle of belief. They still believe Jesus Christ is Savior. He's the only way. But it's a battle of thoughts. It's right here. Most people don't lose the battle of a biblical stance. They believe the Bible is inherent, infallible. But it's the battle of the thoughts. That's the, what usually people lose the battle of, guys. But the mind has always been the battle, and it always will be. The mind has always been the battlefield. Our mind is where victory has its place and joy will reside. We must remember the seriousness of the fight because where your head goes, your body goes. It was one of the things that you're taught in, in American football. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. One reason, you don't want to break your neck. Number two, where your head goes, your body goes. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. This is the battlefield right here. The key to joy is to understand that Christ, or in Christ, we have a beachhead of victory, a, defeat, a defended position. The power is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not in our ability to rededicate, not in our ability to, to commit with new words or come up with a 10-point formula. The battle is found by the victory we have in Jesus Christ. So it's time for us to step up and take responsibility, to partner with Christ with our future, our destiny, and have victory, which will ensure joy in our life. Beloved saints, can I encourage you to stop living like a victim? And take up the mantle of victor with joy at the forefront. You can do it. Man, we ought to pray and, uh, pray and rebuke in the name of Jesus because in his name is power. My goodness, we just sang about that. We're told to, we, we are to bind our thoughts in Jesus' name. And we ought to, to not allow the enemy to take up residence in our mind. We, we ought to stop giving the enemy squatting rights and rent-free occupation by opening the door to our thought life and enabling him to take root inside of our mind. Guys, the truth is this. You'll either bind the thought or eventually the thought will bind you. That's where we are tonight. So we've been given a passageway to joy through standing fast in Christ Jesus and surrendering our thought life to our Lord. So lastly this evening, if we want to live victoriously, if we want to live a life of joy, and by the way, before I go into this final point, that doesn't mean you're running around giddy and loopy all the time. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. You can still have that serious face, but still have joy inside. But we're going to have to live a life of joy through Scripture. Through Scripture. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, do. One of my, now there's a load of them, they're my favorite verses, but especially this one because it's a call to action. You've seen it, you've heard it, you've learned it, you've received it, now do it. James says, be you doers of the word, not hearers only. He's, what's the result? And the God of peace shall be with you. Do you know what is equated with peace? Joy. You knew I was coming back there. 
So you may be sitting here tonight and you're saying, well, I do all these things. I ask you this now. Do you have peace in your life? Is there peace in your life? First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I have wore that verse out this year. And maybe there's a reason. Amen. Jesus Christ, while it's on this earth, rebuked the devil by quoting Scripture. The pattern is set for us to follow. In Paul's letter, he quotes the Old Testament over 250 times in the 14 epistles he writes. And he says that he failed not to, to preach the whole counsel of God. Where do you think he was preaching from? The Old Testament scriptures. He didn't have a New Testament. We got a completed work. That which is perfect has come. He, ha- he didn't have that. He had, the old, he had the 39 books of the Old Testament. He wasn't preaching from all 39, but he was given the whole counsel of God to those people. The battle of the mind will be won or lost by standing fast in Christ through surrendering to the scriptures. By who you do not allow to take residence up in your mind. To have free reign within the corridors of your thought life. All of that will be defeated by filling your mind with the word of God. Yes, by prayer and supplication uh, with thanksgiving. Yes, by, by continuing to study and to read and write your scriptures and do all of those things. But guys, we are given a formula to follow. We are given something in our life that we can just fill our thought life up with his holy scriptures. Verses like Psalm 119 were encouraged in verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, all, uh, do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, again written from that prison house. Let the word of Christ dwell in, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Matthew chapter 4, 4, we find it right here. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then my pastor's favorite, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and, sh- and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even uh, to the divide and asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Man, that word of God can take your thoughts and your intentions and divide them. You may think to do something good over here, and the word of God slices and dices and removes, and the, the intentions of that good thought you had right here was for you to get the glory and not God. The Word of God says, nope, big boy, we're going to separate those things and find out. That's what the Word of God is tonight. That's the power that it has in your life to ensure you the victory and to have joy in your days. And the list could go on and on and on. But let me encourage you to fill your mind with Scripture. Victory with the byproduct of joy occurs when we win the battle of the mind. Have a daily verse. Have a daily verse. Monday, you could have Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There you go. I gave you tomorrow's. Tuesday can be Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he, uh, he it is that, that, uh, that doth go before thee. Uh, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Uh, fear not, and neither be dismayed. And on and on and on. Have a daily verse, guys. It's very simple. My verse today is Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. 
That's, my, that's today's verse. This is where our joy will come to the forefront. Standing fast in Christ Jesus, surrendering to victory through the Lord, and soaking our minds with Scripture every single day. Can I say this, beloved? It's time for us to fight our battles, our daily battles, from a position of victory as opposed to fighting for victory. You're already there. You hear people say it all the time. Well, you know, we've already won the war. Then act like it. Amen? Well, we've already won the battle. Well, then live like it, man. Get out there. Hey, listen, have joy in your life. If you've already won, you ought to be celebrating, amen. And when those trials and tribulations and temptations and things come, keep in mind, hey, this battle's already won. God knows what's going to happen here. He's going to give me a way to escape. He's already promised me that we always triumph uh, through Christ Jesus. Let me make the right decisions now so I can get out of this storm as quick as possible, amen. Sometimes God's not interested, man, in getting you out of the storm or taking the storm away. He's interested in taking you through it. We need to understand that. I like that saying about God didn't remove the Red Sea. He divided it, amen? And those Hebrews, all 2.4 million of them, walked on dry ground. A sea, mind you. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, my God. So I'm going to tell you tonight that if you want joy in your life. You're going to have to surrender to victory by standing fast in Christ, by surrendering unto the Lord in that victory, and saturating your mind with Scripture. I'm going to live as a victor. You can come with me if you want. My joy is going to be my banner in my life. So tonight, I'm going to ask you, are you willing to surrender to victory so joy will be in your life as well? I trust you will. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done, for many wonderful blessings you've given us. We thank you for allowing us to be together this evening. We pray that you'd take your word, and Lord, you'd write it upon the table of everyone's heart tonight, that in the midst of whatever may lie before us, Lord, tonight, tomorrow, this week, this month, the rest of this year, next year, whatever it may be, should you tarry your coming, I pray this evening that we can come back to this very moment and understand that our surrender to victory it's what will produce joy in our life, that we stand fast in Christ Jesus, unmovable, that we surrender to that victory so joy may be present by saturating our hearts and minds in thy holy word, the scripture, the word of God. Lord, be with us as we depart, Lord, as we close in our song here in just a moment. I ask of you to please let our heart resonate on the spoken word this evening. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask all of these things. Amen. And amen. I do hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is a blessing to your heart this evening. Stand with me, if you will, as we close in our final song tonight.